Welcome to episode 108 of What a Love Topic. What's up, Brad? Not much, Andrew. What's going on with you? The usual. We're here recording. This is true. And if uh, anybody couldn't see us, they also know that because they can hear us. That's right. Uh, I guess we'll get right into it. We don't really have much to... Uh... We have nothing but project car updates because we have been a couple of busy shade tree mechanics. We've been hustling. Week. So there's that. We've been making up for all those many months where we had no project no updates. No work whatsoever. Well, we're just we, we cramming it in there. We have a goal, though. That's why. Yeah. I guess it's so, good to have a goal. Yeah. We're trying to get three cars ready for Radwood. Plus the Gallant. <laughs> oh, Side yeah. Side repairs. What's the, th- what's the three cars? The Montero. Oh, we talked about that last Talon, week, though. and the Sapporo. Yeah. But the Montero, was all, the Montero was all set last week. I'm just saying it goes into the reason we're so busy. The Montero also needed... Repairs, anyways, because two weeks after Radwood, it is going off road. We're going to Vermont. Yep. For the Northeast, nope, Flatland, Northeast Flatlanders. It is Northeast Flatlanders. Mm-hmm. My mind blanked on that. That's okay. They're doing their uh, Toys for Tots run out of the Southern Vermont. Yep. So I, I you can look for them on Facebook if you're local. I, think I don't the know if already it, sold if out. it are is it already full. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well. If it's already full, but you'd still like to donate, we would be happy to bring toys with us. Oh, we're, for sure. We're bringing our own donation of yep. toys. But if you have toys you'd like to donate, we would be happy to bring them up there because it does go to a good cause. And if you do sign up for the event now, I'm pretty sure there is a... A waiting list? <clears throat> like a waiting list that people cancel for whatever reason. So, okay. I mean, you still can try. Yeah. And we have... I've run it in the past with just Jordan. I rode shotgun with him, mm-hmm. and it was local. They did it through Connecticut, and they, uh, a couple of those guys are Connecticut State Troopers. Yep. And they worked with the local uh, troop where they were running the event, and they showed up with a police cruiser, and we stuffed it full of toys. Yeah. And so that was pretty cool. So Yeah, this time they're taking it out of their home state to Vermont because there's more wheeling in Vermont. Yep. And it's a little bit earlier in the season. Last year was November. Right. It'll still be pretty chilly in Vermont, but the roads in Vermont are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The paved roads and the dirt roads yeah. are pretty amazing. Yeah. So, again, that's going on. Uh, I want to get that out there instead of waiting till our events section. And, of course, section. we have Radwood coming up as well, which is what we're preparing everything for. Yep. Which is the 14th of October in Philadelphia. Yep. And then for those of us with trucks, off-road capable trucks, the uh, Mitsubishi Monteros USA Northeast group is doing their own little run after the show. That's uh, right. We will not be there, unfortunately, because we're not bringing, we are bringing a truck, but we have too much other stuff to do. Um, but there's a good group going. It's not a big time um, commitment. It's going to be a quick run after the event, and then everybody goes home. It's not a camping trip or anything. So Every truck's welcome. Every truck is welcome, not just the Monteros, correct? Yeah. So if you bring in an FJ or something, some other rad era pickup truck or a uh, Four by four. It's uh, Northeast Mitsubishi. Are you looking it up? I'm looking up the name of it because I know that Eric yelled at me last week for not having the name 100% oh, right. Oh, all right. So I need to get the name of the group right. So hold on one second. Is this the Pedantic Corrections Department? <clears throat> getting the-, the Northeast Mitsubishi four by four crew after party. Oh, okay. Okay. It's from it's a subgroup of Mitsubishi Monteros USA. Cool. So you can look both those groups up on Facebook. Sweet. Uh, I guess I think that's it for top of the show stuff. Let's get right to project car updates. The uh, meat and potatoes we got here. 
so forgotten stress-inducing project car update. Yeah, this one happened right before the last show, but we kind of glossed over it because we were still kind of butthurt about it. Yeah, Jordan's Xterra also needed upstream O2 sensors. This was the one that last week we described doing the four-wheel brake job. Four-wheel brake job on. Uh, upstream driver side total nightmare. Uh, it was this particular time. It wasn't like hard to access or anything. It was just. It was pretty hard to access. You couldn't quite get a socket on it straight. It's just my least favorite repairs are sway bar links and O2 sensors. They're mm-hmm. always difficult. Correct, because sway bar links they always spin in the link itself. Where you're trying to loosen the nut off the end, or they're rusty and broken. Yeah. And O2 sensors are always frozen in the pipe because A, New England, and B, heat cycling. Yeah. But they, uh, even with the warming up the truck, uh, it was really hard to get a socket in there. So the only socket that would fit it was one of those cheap slotted sockets mm-hmm. that as soon as you turn on it, it spreads. Spreads and breaks. And just slips, and we're starting to round it off. So I was like, well, we're going to plan B, which is the nuclear option. Because you, nope. No. You cut the wires, Mm -hmm. so you have to now remove the O2 sensor. Right. And you jam a regular socket onto it, and then break it free. Which Which worked. did work. Yes. Uh, It buggered up the threads a bit, and cleaning up the threads didn't work so well. And I eventually got them sort of cleaned up. And also we couldn't get the old O2 sensor then out of the socket that we used to remove it. Oh, yeah. It was also a nightmare. Um, so a lot of feeling around and getting it threaded in there. And then finally I caught some threads and got it tight and it crushed the gasket. And that was it. Kind of. Because you had to use the second brand new O2 sensor. Oh, right. Because the first one... When you were trying to repair the threads, the threads on the O2 sensor got buggered up. Yeah. So the brand new O2 sensor wouldn't thread in. The buggered threads on the brand new O2 sensor wouldn't match the destroyed threads in the pipe. Which I have a die uh, that is big enough for that, so I'm going to save that O2 sensor. Yeah, I'm sure we can. It was just at the time. It was was super super frustrating. Super annoying. I hate those freaking O2 sensors. Anyways. And they go constantly in Nissan's. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's also really annoying that his truck has less than 80,000 miles, and that's not an emissions warranty item. I feel like it 100% should be emissions warranty. Mm-hmm. It's part of the emission system. It is part of the emission system. If you go for a sticker with that light on, you fail for emissions. Exactly. Yeah, and so for some emissions. reason, it's not covered. It's part of the considered electrical? I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, If your O2 sensors failed and ruined your catalytic converters, are your catalytic converters, your, those would be covered. I would think so. Yeah, whatever. It's that's. So you should have just kept driving it and waited for the cats to get destroyed. And I guess get it done for free. Yeah. I mean, so stupid. But whatever, it's done now. It is done. We it know what to do for it next time, time. But now it's fixed. Yeah, it's basically all the heat shields and shit around the exhaust just made it really difficult to get a decent socket in there. So next time, I know what to do. Not a big deal. Burn the truck. <laughs> no. It wasn't. It wasn't even that rusty. That's the worst part. No, it's not. It's a fairly new vehicle. Yeah, it's only what four years old, three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I got the wrong caliper for the driver's side of the Galant, so that is not done yet. Correct. Do we describe working on that at all yet? 
No, I probably got a front-wheel drive one. So the hydraulic line went goes in at the wrong angle. It fits and bolts up. Correct. But it also doesn't have the right flare fitting for the line. So I was like, well, I can kind of get this together for now, and then I can get the correct one afterwards. But I just got so annoyed with it, I just put it together and then left it, and I'll deal with the other side. The other problem with the <clears throat> hydraulic line going at the wrong angle was it the clearance on the wheel wasn't there. It was just touching the wheel. Yeah. Like, if you drove it any length of time, it would wear through the line. Yep. It was dumb. If I had 16-inch wheels, it would probably clear, but whatever. I got the right parts. I'll swap it out uh, the day this podcast drops. That's on the docket for that. I also uh, did... I worked on Jordan's... Rallycross STI, the oil pan was weeping, like so rusted that oil was just seeping through it. Correct. And like <clears throat> dripping out like a lot. However, which it is... probably wouldn't get any worse because now both sides are covered in oil. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. That's a fair... Okay. That's a legitimate theory. Um, Pretty typical, you know, rusty Subaru club. Yeah, you guys are both part of that. Yep. So... Uh, I had to jack up, if you unbolt the engine mounts and jack the engine up at the transmission, it gives you just enough clearance to get the pan out. And then if you remove the oil cooler, the oil filter spins on, it goes to an oil cooler. If you drop that down, it literally gives you just the right amount of clearance and knock the pan out of there, drop it down straight, and then put the new pan up. But it's so, the RTV was so old and dried up, which it wasn't leaking from the RTV where it meets the block, but as soon as I hit it with a dead blow, it basically fell off. Like it oh, took like solid. it took nothing. Yeah, it just bunk and all the RTV came with the metal part of the pan. There was very little on the block I had to clean Oops. up. So that made that part easy. But I got that done pretty quick, and then uh, he yeah, went. I missed I missed that whole project unfortunately. <laughs> he went uh, rally crossing, and there were no leaks. So job done. Success. And uh, I traded that for, uh, we hopefully will have a landing page soon. Yes. Yeah, he, we, you did that, and he'll build us a website. That's Fair right. Off. Yep. So sometimes that's how it works. You're good at one thing. You've got a friend that's good at the other thing, and you trade off. We here at Auto Off Topic are big proponents of the barter system. 100%. Yeah. And that brings us to the Sapporo, the long dormant 83 Sapporo. Not the longest dormant of all my stuff, but getting there for sure because it's been two years yeah um and it's been almost four years to the date since the last time the transmission was out which is wonderful do you want to take it from the top from the original one so rewind the clock to the wayback machine to august or september of 2014 i drive the sapporo which is for those who don't know, a rebadged Mitsubishi Galant. It was sold in this country as a Plymouth Sapporo and a Dodge Challenger. Um, it is the same basic under structure, unibody structure, mechanics of a Starion, minus a turbo, and minus an independent rear suspension. So it has a solid rear axle and a carbureted 2.6 liter rear wheel drive. Um, back in 2014, I was driving the car. And I went to back it into my driveway, and I put it in reverse, the automatic transmission, and I heard a clunk. 
And as I'm backing it up, the clunk turned into a metallic clanging sound. And Wait, I know what it is. What's that? It's an automatic. Yeah, it's garbage from the get from the get go. So, at that point, the metallic clanging sound happens. I go to put it put it in reverse, back in the driveway, put it in drive. The clanging sound gets worse, and the car ceases to move. So that's not good. Um, so we towed the car to Salem, to the garage with the lift, and we pulled the transmission out of the car. Somehow, the torque converter input shaft, I guess you would call it, the part that goes into the transmission, um, it's got a little keyway on it that it sits in, had snapped in half at like a weird angle, and the piece that was clanging around was part of the torque converter, mm-hmm. and the torque converter wasn't being driven because where the keyway is was broken. So we all stood around scratching our heads wondering how this happened because the car, A, doesn't make any power. It's like 100 horsepower on a good day and 100 foot-pounds of torque. It's not a fast car. It's not a powerful car. The transmission in the car is a kind of tried and true unit. They started making them in the 50s and they made them through until the 90s. So, uh, yeah, I figured we could talk about that a little bit. So it's a Torque Flight A904. Yes. But it's a baby A904. So it's an A904B, I mm-hmm. think, is the designation for it. It's the same basic internals of every 904 Torque Flight transmission that Chrysler ever made, and AMC used as well. Yep. Um, just in a smaller case to fit the smaller cars. So from Hemmings.com, a post by Jim O'Clair in January of 2014. So it says, although the cast iron torque flight three speed had been available as early as 1956 in the mm-hmm. 300C, mm-hmm. the smaller, more economical version, the light duty tor- torque flight six or A904, was released in 1960. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so it's an old transmission. The A904 could very well be considered the grandfather of most Chrysler automatic transmissions. Yeah, it's very basic, very robust, and it's been put behind v8 cars for years well it's a different transmission technically technically but the design and internals are very similar to the full-size 904 yeah so derivatives of the 904 include the amc torque command 6 mm-hmm. the a909 and 904 with a lockup converter the a500 904 with a fourth gear added and the baby 904 it says mitsubishi based compacts the arrow and colt and the A998-904 with extra free split usually you're found in 318 equipped vehicles. Right. So, so. small blocks. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a basic Chrysler transmission. Yep. It's a design that's well known for being good as far as automatics go. They don't fail very often. Three speed. So why did this one fail this way? I don't know. So we don't know. So we just can't figure out any reason. We decide it must be just some kind of metal fatigue. Maybe the part was not treated properly when it was built maybe it was a factory flaw we can't figure it out um i look for a used transmission cannot find one i finally find one it looks dirtier and grosser than the one we took out of the car because again the car is a you know at the time fifty-five thousand mile car from california so the transmission was really clean inside and out so we decide somewhat fatefully now it would seem that the best bet is to take the torque converter from the used transmission, put it in our known good shifting transmission, and put that back in the car. 
And then everything should be hunky-dory, no problem at all, life is good. Mm-hmm. So it lasts that way for about two years. Um, not daily driven duty, probably five or 6,000 miles total. Mm-hmm. And, and that car is no straight line stunner. No, like I said before, it doesn't make any power. It's weird that it would break this part. Yeah. Um, so two years, maybe five or 6,000 miles. I'm driving the car, of course, nowhere near home. I'm way up in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, I glance in my mirror, and there is a smoke cloud behind me of, like, 007, like, you know, smoke, um, what do you call it? smoke screen purposes. Like, mm-hmm. you can't see anything behind me. So, obviously, I pull over, and I look, crawl into the car, and there is transmission fluid pouring out of the front of the case. So, out of the bottom of the bell housing, in between the bell housing and the inspection cover. So I go, well, that's not good. I get in the car and I drive it as far as I can until it runs out of fluid. I happen to have fluid in the trunk. Um, so I poured more fluid in it and I got it the rest of the way back to where I was staying in New Hampshire. Sorry, Maine. Excuse me. Um, and that was it. car wouldn't move anymore. Because I was completely out of fluid. There was no movement whatsoever. So I left it there. Left it there for a while. Towed it back down here. And it's been parked in a garage for a while, ever since. So Radwood is coming up this year. And I said, what better reason to get that car back on the road than to get it ready to go to Radwood? So we brought it down to your garage probably, what, Saturday? My dad's garage, yep. Yeah, Saturday. Um, Took it apart Sunday, had the transmission out Monday night. Yeah, last night. Last night we had the transmission out. We had it half apart. Yeah, we disconnected all the lines, all the linkages, uh, took the drive shaft out, had a bunch of the bolts out, just kept a few in there until we were ready to pull the transmission last night. Mm-hmm. So last night we pulled the transmission down. Uh, it was quite obvious that it was leaking from the front seal. Uh, and when we pulled the transmission out, we could see the brass bushing that the torque converter rides on inside the transmission housing, inside the oil pump of the transmission, I should say. Yeah. Had exited where it belonged. And punctured its way through the seal and was sticking out kind of at an angle on the front side of the transmission. Obviously, it doesn't belong there. <laughs> but that's why the transmission was leaking, because that bushing had separated itself from the pump and had torn through the seal. So the seal's under pressure with the fluid behind it because of the design of a torque converter. And it just, all of the fluid just came out immediately. Mm-hmm. So upon further inspection, the bushing was wiped. The end of the torque converter was wiped. And the shaft, sorry, the, the end of the torque converter on the inside, because the shaft and the transmission goes into the torque converter. And the shaft coming out of the transmission, the stator shaft, was worn down pretty significantly. So thinking back to two years ago, or four years ago, when we took it apart last time, what probably caused that torque converter piece to snap in half was probably that bushing. It probably wasn't right then, and it overheated that shaft and caused it to crack, enough, caused it to fatigue enough that it cracked. So when we decided to put the new torque converter in the old transmission without taking apart the oil pump, we didn't see that that bushing was damaged. And obviously, it was a ticking time bomb from the day we put it back together. Mm-hmm. And it happened to last for two years. So, 
now I have the transmission in the car, the torque converters out of the, the transmission out of the car, torque converters out of it. I need at the bare minimum to find a torque converter to put in the car in order to put it back together because I do have a spare transmission which has a spare oil pump that I can take out of it mm -hmm. and put it in the transmission from the car and then reassemble it with a new torque converter. So fast forward to today. I go online this morning on carpart.com, search 83 Sapporo automatic transmission, and lo and behold, there's a junkyard in Bridgewater, Mass., which is about an hour and a half from us, that has two. Mm -hmm. So I called them and confirmed that they had them there, yep. and I drove down today to pick one up. Okay. How'd that go? Let me tell you. Yeah. The kind of junkyard that still stocks parts for 83 Sapporos okay. is going to be a little behind the times. They're with the times enough that they have an online inventory. Okay. But they're behind the times enough. That still means they're like 10 years behind the, like. Oh, they're way more than 10 years behind. I mean, if they have online, that's like been a so good 10 years. the guy was looking at the, no, but four years ago, these transmissions did not come up on car part. Okay. So four years ago, this place was probably not online. Okay. So I call the guy with the stock numbers and he goes, oh, those stock numbers aren't any good. I was like, okay, why? And he goes, well, that first stock number we haven't used since 1987. Okay. So one of these transmissions has been on the shelf since 1987 at the latest. Okay. And they haven't cleared it out. Was um, it underneath other things? No, no, no. It was on a shelf. They were both on shelves. Um, they had racks and racks and racks of transmissions and engines lining the walls, like all, like three out of four walls in like five different rooms. Okay. Um my particular transmission that I went to buy was probably about 30 feet in the air. Okay. Um, when they designed this room, they designed it to be serviced via a forklift. Okay. In the past 40 years, they have stacked so much stuff in this room, you can no longer drive a fork truck around it. Right, because so, they apparently don't get rid of things. So all of their inventory that they have on the walls is totally inaccessible by any means of conveyance whatsoever. It gets to a point where they're like, well, not selling. Just fill in the fast-moving shit in front of it. Fast-moving shit? Absolutely not. No. So on the ground in front of where this transmission was okay. is a tire machine. All right. That's not fast-moving. That's permanent. Okay. Um, a tire machine, two 55-gallon drums of God knows what, um, countless... Little four-cylinder engines, not tagged or inventory, just there. Most of them look like Volkswagen engines, actually. Um, it's an all-foreign parts yard. Um, a lift is just to the right now. Okay. They have a car on the lift mm -hmm. with no rear axle in it. So even if we wanted to go around the lift with the fork truck, we couldn't because this is a car on the lift. All right. The fork truck is on the right-hand side of the lift. And if we wanted to use the fork truck, if we even could get it where it, where we needed to go with it, it was also surrounded by engine blocks and engines and tires and wheels and fenders and hoods. And this place, this garage, if you cleaned everything out of this garage, would have been a six- to eight-car comfortable garage. There's just enough room in this garage 
to drive the one car on the lift. This sounds familiar. Uh, it's not. It is way worse than anything you've ever seen. <laughs> it is. It's like the junkyard has just grown from the floor up. So now the guy's all excited because I'm here to buy this transmission. <laughs> so he tells his other I'm, guy. I'm relevant. Yes. So he tells his other guy to get the thing prepped to pull off the shelf. So I got there hmm, two o'clock. Okay. No, probably earlier. Probably one thirty. All right. Um, he says to the guy whose name was Ted, "Hey Ted, can you get this thing prepped and ready to pull off the shelf?" So Ted walks in the room with like a twenty-five foot ladder. Okay. Crawls up this ladder, goes to where the transmission is. Now, in order to get the ladder down, he had to move like four or five things. The rubber feet on the bottom of the ladder are sheared off on both sides, so it's just metal on the floor. There's nothing to stop this thing from sliding around. Oh, that noise! Nothing, but the noise. There's nothing to keep the thing from moving. One leg is a different height than the other. The thing is sketchy as can be, and he has it balanced against the corner of this wooden shelving unit that was built in probably 1975 to house transmission and engine cores. So he goes to pull the thing off. He pulls a torque converter out and hands it to me, like down the ladder, which is fine. The other guy goes off to help another customer remove a glove box door from a Volkswagen Jetta. Um, Weird Jetta. Like an 05, 04. Oh, okay. like, a, like a Mark IV Jetta, whatever, right. 03, whatever year it was. Okay. Not like an 82. No. <laughs> that would have been a great story. Um, so he's like, oh, man, this thing's heavy. And I'm like, yeah, it's a transmission. It's, it's not light. And he's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light, like, yeah. ever. He's like, I bet this thing weighs 150 pounds. I'm like, yeah, I, you're probably not wrong. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to get it down here. I was like, okay. He's like, I think I need another ladder. I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do with another ladder. He's like, oh, I got some ideas. So that, now, fast forward about a half hour. The guy's tired of waiting for the other guy who's taking the glove box door off a jet at the parking lot, which took an exorbitant amount of time. Because he he knew that this guy is getting a transmission down from 20 feet in the air. Well, the guy out in the yard is the owner. Yeah. So the guy who's supposed to be, like, prepping the transmission to pull it down is like, well, we're just going to have to wait for him to come back. And he goes back and starts working on the Mustang on the lift. So now I'm standing there, like, twiddling my thumbs, like, I can't climb this ladder because I don't work there, number one. I don't have any insurance on, you know, if I get hurt in their shop. And B, this is the sketchiest thing I've ever heard happening in my life. So the other guy finally comes back. It's been probably 45 minutes. I'm just standing there, like, twiddling my thumbs, not knowing what to do. He says to, get to Ted to get the other ladder. So now we have a 25-foot aluminum ladder against this thing to go about 30 feet in the air. And then they bring out this probably 25-foot tall step ladder, like the one that opens up like an A, like a V. Yeah. Upside down V. So he puts that in the ground. Upside down V? Yes. I'm just trying to be very clear what's going on here. That would be an A. Yes. Well, no. An A has like bars going across it. Actually, I just did two because it has the the crossbar. So it looks like an A from the side. (laughs) All right. I'm assuming our audience knows what a stepladder is. So the guy brings out this 25-foot stepladder. And he puts it in front of this other ladder now that's leaned against the shelving unit. Uh, okay. He asked this other guy to, hey, get that table over there and give me that table. 
So he hoists him up. So the, now the guy, the owner guy, has climbed the first ladder, the rickety one that I first told about. His employee hands him a table. Like a table. Not like 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 a table. And they rest the, t- the table on the top of the 25-foot stepladder and bridge it across to the shelf. I don't know if you can picture how this is happening now. So now there's a f- about a five-foot disparity between the top of the stepladder and the top of the shelf. So the table's at an angle. So the guy climbs the first ladder, which is now under this table, mind you, climbs up to the bottom of the table and, like, reaches around the table, mm-hmm. lifts the front transmission onto this table, and slides it down to the middle of the table. <laughs> and then climbs down the ladder. And now he looks up, and there's a transmission on this table, which is probably like a six-foot-long table, hovering over the floor and us, being supported by an inch of table on the shelf and maybe two inches of table on top of the other stepladder. At an angle, in the six-foot the six foot table, at like a, five, a four- to five-foot disparity of the angle from the front of the table to the back of the table. So it's a pretty steep angle. The transmission just sitting there. And I'm like, I'm not buying this transmission. It's, it's going to hit the ground. It's going to get broken <laughs> in half. Somebody's going to die. This is not going to happen. So he's standing there looking at it, and he's scratching his head because now he doesn't know how to move it from there because now it's at almost the same height that it was at, but it's no longer safely on a shelf where it's been sitting since probably 1988. It's now hovering ugly over the middle of the shop. So the first guy takes the first ladder out from underneath the table where it's against the shelving unit, walks it back a few feet, and puts it against the side of the stepladder and proceeds to climb the ladder. Mm -hmm. And the ladder is being supported now by a stepladder. So the top of the ladder is braced against the top of the stepladder. Okay. Do you understand how that works? Yeah, it's just leaning against it. It's a ladder leaning against a ladder, and this is like a 280-pound man. (laughs) So he starts to climb the ladder, and obviously the stepladder starts to tilt, and the table starts to tilt, and the transmission shifts, and it slides another foot down the table. (laughs) And he yells to the other guy to come steady the ladder. So he wants the other guy to stand under the ladder and hold the ladder up as he climbs the ladder. Okay. I don't think he understands how, like, physics works. Gravity. Because the fulcrum of weight from him climbing above this guy holding the ladder on the ground to him climbing high enough to touch this transmission is absurd. So he, he starts to do it, and the guy can't hold his weight, obviously, once he gets a certain height off the ground. And the thing starts to tip again, and the table moves again, and the transmission moves again. So he stops there, and he tries to reach up to get the transmission, but he realizes now that the ladder, where the two meet, is right underneath the roof-mounted propane heater. So he can't reach the transmission because the heater's in the way. Not that I know what he was going to do with his transmission at this point anyway, because it's just sitting there in midair at the same height it was at before. And now he's on an even sketchier ladder than he was before. So he climbs down. 
And he rebraces the ladder and everything. And he's like, I don't want to do. So he disappears. And he comes back with scaffolding. Not a whole scaffolding unit. You know how when you stand on scaffolding, there's the wooden plank with the metal ends that clamp on the round bars? Yep. So he comes back with one of those. Just the just the clamp. Just the clamp and the and the, the plywood surface you stand on. Not the actual scaffolding? Not the actual scaffolding. Just it's basically plywood with a metal structure under it. Is what he comes back with. Okay. He clamps it to the back of the stepladder. So now it's a ramp from the table to the scaffolding. And he brings a filing cabinet over from the other side of the garage. All right. And he puts the filing cabinet underneath the back half of the scaffolding. And he goes, all right, now I'm going to climb the ladder on the other side. And I'm going to slide the transmission down the table onto the scaffolding. And then down the scaffolding onto the filing cabinet. Sure. So now the transmission has the ricketyest ramp possible ever created by man to be slid down, I mean, a total of probably 12 feet to this point, down to a height where they can actually easily manage it. So, obviously, as they're moving around, the table slips on the shelving unit. It makes a big, like, bang, because it goes down from one level of the shelving unit to like where the plywood sits on top to the wooden frame in the front. So it drops like an inch. So now it's only held on by like the smallest of, of pieces to hold this piece of wood to this piece of wood. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what form of gravity was in, in function in this garage today, but he put the ladder against the opposite side of the stepladder that he was on before. Again, the same sketchy way. Managed to get up there. Slide the transmission down. The table and the scaffolding to the top of the filing cabinet. And we managed to get it out of the garage. All told, two hours and 15 minutes. It's so weird. Right. I I didn't have my camera with me. It was in my truck parked out front, my phone. Oh, yeah. I... I, I all I can think of is like in a cartoon. Yeah. When somebody stacks all this stuff up to like yeah. reach a That's high point. That's what happened. That's what happened. And then the guy's like, he's like climbing in between things and like one foot on the tire machine and one foot on the ladder. And every time he moves, the table moves and the transmission slides a little bit more. And I'm just, I'm just like, nah, there's no way. I'm not, I'm not buying this thing today. It's not, I'm not going to get it. Somebody's going to die. Travis is going to hit the ground. It's going to crack in half. I, I couldn't watch by the end. I was like, I can't even watch. I had to walk outside. But they got it down. So, Godspeed to them if they have to do this all the time for every transmission on that shelf because eventually one's going to bite them. Jeez. Thankfully, it wasn't this one today, so I don't feel guilty. But not a fun time getting this transmission down. All right. So what was this transmission from? It's from an 83 Challenger. Okay. Which is the same car. Okay. But so, a Dodge. Yeah. Those cool malaise challengers. Yes. It's the Dodge version of the Sapporo. Yeah. So So it's kind of weird that this is a... It was a Mitsubishi imported for Chrysler, but the only thing Chrysler gave in the exchange was this ancient transmission. So the transmission, as I have now found out, 
was not built by Chrysler. Really? It's a Chrysler design licensed and built by Mitsubishi. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that they didn't put like an ASIN in it. I Probably because it was cheaper just to get the licensing and build yeah. something that's already engineered. Maybe. What was really weird was when we were taking off bolts to it. Like some were standard and some were metric. Or like in between metric and standard. Yeah, like, there were some weird sizes on there. Metric didn't fit that well and neither did the yeah. close standard ones. It was super weird, but it, we made it work. But uh, any idea on the mileage of it? Uh, unfortunately, 101,000. The record's burned? No, no, it's got 101,000 miles on it. That's, I guess. It's not wonderful, but it is what it is. That was 101,000 miles in 1987. Yeah. So from 83 to 87. So there were two transmissions there. This one was 101,000 miles. The other one was unknown mileage. Okay. And it was even higher in the air, so I didn't get that one. Okay. Do you Side wanna, note. Do you want to disclose what you paid for it or no? Yeah, 200 bucks. All right. Yeah. It is what it is. After everything they went through... I wasn't going to try to negotiate the price. I mean, <laughs> it's still... I'm shocked that you found one so fast. Like, literally, we pulled it out yesterday, and there just happened to be one. And we were looking at it, we're like, it's... it's the, the one you have is pretty much... It could be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. You do have the parts to rebuild it, but mm-hmm. this one looks pretty good. And we still, we still, at the bare minimum, needed a torque converter. Yeah. And nobody's going to sell a torque converter separate from a transmission, because it doesn't no. make any sense. So... So the fact that I got it next day, it was 200 bucks. I got this killer story out of it. I watched two men almost die. Um, <laughs> it was just a, it was, it was, it's worth, it's worth 200 bucks to me. Ideally, in a perfect world, this car would be five-speed swapped and we'd be done with it forever. In a perfect world, but this car will eventually just be snaring and swapped. It will have a turbo five-speed. Yeah. Just because. But it right, in, doesn't ruin the car. But right now... We want to get the car ready for Radwood. It's better off just throwing this in there. The car hasn't been driven in a while. It'd be, yep. ni- it'd be nice to see it moving again mm-hmm. without getting into what I call project creep. Right. Where you end up doing one thing, and then it's like, well, I'm in there. I'll do this and this. And the problem with and that. And then a year down the road, it's still not done. The problem with that was, I don't know if I mentioned on air, but I've sold my house. So I have a lot of cars that need to move in a short period of time. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, let's get this done now. Let's not get too involved. Let's make it happen. Um, the only other thing that it definitely needs is carrier bearing. Correct. The drive shaft, because yep. that's toasted. Which I did not look up today, because I had so much else going on. And the... Um, Tires and wheels. Yep. And the... Uh, uh, do you want to disclose what you're going to put on there, or... Yeah, I mean, sorry, for... there's already a picture of it on, All right. on my Instagram page. All right. TSISS350. Yeah. Um, it's gonna, the Yankee ninety twos. Those look, they're they're gonna look boss on there. Yeah. Um, the only thing, other thing I noticed, the coolant hoses are a little swollen, and there's yeah, some corrosion around. Five them. minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's best to do that before you take it on a long drive, because mm-hmm. these engines are very sensitive to being overheated, mm-hmm. as we know with the Raider. Very much so. Um, but it will be nice to get this thing running and driving and see it on the road again, because um, unfortunately yeah, it's been. Uh, do the other things that's been neglected for a little while. Yeah, it's been parked for two years. Yeah. And unfortunately not always inside. Yeah. So it needs a lot of cleanup. But I'll make it new again. Yeah. And you've got my spare driver's side mirror. Presser side mirror. I do. You're going to clean that up for me at work. I'm going to get that painting gloss black for your car to match the other side. Yeah. 
Plus, I need it for a sticker. <laughs> also need it for a sticker, yes. Uh, so that car is coming along. Oh, I do. Have, I have tires coming for that. Oh, excellent. I knocked over a polar seltzer bottle. Yes. How appropriate. I don't know if that was heard on the... I don't think I heard my headphones. Whatever. I think you're okay. Um, I got some S-drives. I like S-drives. They're appropriate for a car of that era because they're not too grippy. Um, and they work. They have a square sidewall, which works in the 90s era. Well, there's not a lot of options in 16 inches, and I don't want super sticky Zenuses that are going to wear out really fast, and I don't care what anybody says. I like Yokohama S-Drives. They drive pretty awesome on the Galant, so... Yeah, no, they're great. They're long-wearing. They're decent in the rain. They're decent in the dry, which is all you need them for. You don't mm-hmm. need them for snow. You don't need them for racetrack. You don't need them for anything nope. else. They're just a good street tire. Yep. They're uh, 215, 16s, and they're going to go on a 16 by 8 inch wheel. Mm-hmm. So that should look pretty good. The tires that were on there were 225, 50 16s. They were slightly too wide in the car. So um, I got to clean those wheels up. I'm trying to get them mounted beginning of next week because I got to get it aligned, and then I'd like to get a sticker, and I'd like to drive it a little bit. And it just needs an oil change because I did flush the coolant. Brake fluid's flushed. Oh, I'd like to flush the clutch fluid. Um, That's about it. I'm just going to drive it as is. And uh, it's not totally tuned, but it should be okay. No, it'll be okay. Um, I was talking to another friend the other day who's putting some brake-in miles on a new engine. Yeah. Uh, And it's not tuned yet. And uh, he was talking about... You know, driving it slowly and not going over 4,000 RPM and whatever. And because uh, it's not tuned, he doesn't want to blow his new engine. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a base, a base tuned to it, but hasn't fine tuned it. Um, and I think his phrase was, um, I'm just not going to give it all the beans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I'll give it the beans, but just not all the beans and we'll be okay. Yeah. That was our friend with the um, SRT4 swapped, uh, rotisserie restored uh, Neon RT. Yeah, you gotta work on getting him to. He's working on it. All right, he's working on it. It is. It is in the. It is in the potential plan to go to Radwood. So. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I could do a little bit of tuning to it, but we'll see where we get with that. Um, anything else? I think that pretty much covers it for this week. Yeah, we've had a pretty busy week, but hopefully next week the... more updates next week. Yeah, hopefully next week we'll have the Sephora on the road. Kind of unfortunate that we're towards Town the, the end of the driving season here, but we're. It took yeah. us like all summer to get a lot of stuff done. It's but been a weird year. It is done. Yeah. And that means the stuff will be ready in the spring. Yeah, it's been a weird year. I think we might have a guest next week too. Don't want to say for sure yet. So that's exciting. And uh I don't know. Look forward for more stuff coming. Yep. And look forward for hopefully that website coming. Yep. So the other thing too, uh if you haven't already rated us on iTunes, if you use iTunes, please be, do. It would be very helpful to rate us. We'd like to keep this podcast free forever, but we would also like to get some advertising to offset our costs, Mm -hmm. at least pay for the audio equipment for now. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be nice. But by getting reviews and getting us higher in the rankings, it would be easier to get advertising dollars. dollars. We don't want to do any type of uh, pay-for programming at this point. That's not our goal. We want to just do a couple ads 
I think uh, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, and I don't mind having a couple ads in them. No. Um, and uh, I don't want to make anybody pay for anything extra. Nope. So that's just the way it is right now. That's Except our... for goods goods and services. <laughs> we will sell some more t-shirts and hats, I think, coming up pretty soon. Yeah, we're going to find a better t-shirt supplier. Uh, we're planning on doing some hats. Uh, we're going to get some more stickers to give away yeah. if you see us in person. We should definitely have more by Radwood, I think, so... Mm-hmm. So, uh, that being said, um, this Friday night, if you're local, oh, that's right, at the um, so Salem Koto Koto in Salem, Mass K O T O, um, uh, the band that does our intro song, um, Z28, will be performing. I think the show starts at eight. I'm not sure what time their set is, but it's sometime after that, obviously. Drinks are good at Koto. The food's good at Koto. Yeah, go. Um, pro tip: go before eight, eat some dinner. Yeah, and then check out Pad the show. Pad Thai is awesome there. Yeah, um, yeah, should go there. Z28 has a CD out. You can buy their CD there. Yep, nobody rides for free. That's right. Uh, and uh, we thank them for letting us use their song. Yeah, and they're a great band and great guys. They are a great band and great guys. So as always, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses.